A school for tomorrow acknowledges the First Nations and custodians of country throughout Australia and internationally and their continuing connection to land, waters and community. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging and to stolen generation survivors. We recognise the intergenerational trauma that remains in our pledge to build a world that can heal through our unwavering commitment to truth-telling through the power of story and education. A School for Tomorrow stands in solidarity with our Indigenous brothers and sisters and works for justice and true reconciliation. Our acknowledgement was drafted in consultation with Leanne Wilson, a Bidjara and Kara Kara First Nation descendant who acknowledges her South Sea Islander heritage. Welcome to the Game Changers podcast. We are your hosts, Associate Professor of Education and Enterprise, Philip Cummins, and prominent educational thought leader, Adriano Depro. The Game Changers podcast aims to not only put a spotlight on the innovative ideas shaping the landscape of 21st century schooling, but to enter into a deep dialogue with those brave pioneers, the true game changers in education, those individuals that don't wait for permission, leaders in education who are actually courageous enough to make real change in their learning community as they foster the growth of each young person in their care to ultimately thrive in this new world environment. These are their stories. Sometimes you get to meet someone who's just super interesting, super engaging, and can teach you so much about how the world can come together to do what it needs to do. Hayley Maguire is one of those people. She's a proud Darrimble and South Sea Islander woman from Rocky in central Queensland, like Leanne, and a passionate advocate for Indigenous social justice and First Nations-led education. She's the co-founder and national coordinator of the National Indigenous Youth Education Coalition. She's the current co-chair of Learning Creates Australia. She's an inaugural Asia-Pacific Obama Foundation leader. She's a thought leader. She's a really, really astute observer of our society today. We're really, really lucky to be talking to our Amico. I can't wait. I'm excited. Let's go. Before we start our conversation with today's Game Changers guest, Phil, can you share with our audience a little insight into our Series 8 sponsor? EDAPT Education brings together all your student data into one platform. Improve the growth and well-being of all students in your school. EDAPT is offering their learner profile and school data platform free for a term for the first time exclusive to you, our Game Changers listeners. Simply visit edapt.education forward slash game changers. That's edapt.education forward slash game changers. Let's go. I'm really excited for this conversation today, Phil. But before we get to young Haley, how is the People's Democratic Republic of Fitzroy treating you today? Well, here on Wurundjeri Woi Wurrung country, Adriano, mm-hmm. we're doing just peachy. The sun is just starting to come out. The little tofu is just walking around the streets. Right. The almond milk is flowing in the gutters. And the quinoa is blossoming. It's almost spring, Adriano. I'm sure I'm sure our listeners must be so tired of this banter at the beginning of every single episode around tofu and quinoa. But poor quinoa and tofu, they're just constantly abused by you, Phil. You should you should embrace them a little bit more and be more nice and gentle with them. Very inclusive. Well, well look, I, I actually did have some, I, I had a fantastic Japanese uh, scrambled egg tofu rice sort of dish the other day. It was brilliant. Mm. That's good. That's very good. Anyway, enough of this nonsense. Let's get to our guest here on Series 8 of The Game Changers, with our focus, of course, being a life of purpose. I'm really excited for this conversation. Hayley, I'm going to launch straight into it. This is a question we ask every single one of our guests, and that is, 
Tell us a little bit about your story, your life story to date, how you've gotten to where you are today. Well, thank you for having me first off. And um, I also just want to pay my respects to the um, country on which we're all joining from and listening in from. And for me, I'm on Wurundjeri country as well. So I grew up in Rockhampton on beautiful Turrumbul country. And I think when I think about my journey, a lot of it has been shaped by my childhood. Like I think most of us really. Um, I was really fortunate to grow up amongst a whole mob of family. And, um, you know, when I was going to primary school, just me and my first cousins alone made up 10% of my primary school population. And so going to school um, was just an extension of being able to hang out with my cousins all day, really. Um, But, you know, as I got older, you kind of start to see or take notice of some of the cracks in the wall, I guess, in that, you know, you start to think about the history of your family and like the history of my family's story on this place and on these lands. And that a lot of that story has been shaped by colonization. And, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes when we talk about those themes, they feel like really, um, you know, just something that people say, you know, like mm-hmm. it's just, oh, colonization. But actually, like for me and my family, like you can see that, you know, my, my nanny, she had to grow up in a South Sea Islander settlement outside of Rockhampton because at the time it wasn't common for um, Indigenous or South Sea Islander people to live in town mm-hmm. you know and then so you start to kind of like work your way back or you know like having being South Sea Islander having um, my nanny's grandfather stolen from his islands and you know you just you just kind of you like you love your childhood and you love where you're from and you love the place that you grow up in but you also I guess as a young person really recognize the kind of historical baton you've been handed mm-hmm. thinking about my my aunties my uncles my grandmother my grandparents um, my parents and their journeys is really what's given me the direction to pursue education first of all thank you very much for sharing that that story uh, there's so much in that story about the significance of community yeah and why community is not only important to first nations people but to all of us because yeah. it gives us a really deep sense of belonging. It gives us a real sense of purpose. It gives us real agency, doesn't it? And, and, and thank you for sharing the elements of, your, of the story that are traumatic, that, uh, as you said, you know, the baton of history, uh, it, your, your history is, is different to the mine and many other Australians. And it's really important that we continue to find opportunities to create healing through truth-telling and, yeah. th- and through the power of story and of course, education. And that's where I want to I want to lead to right now. Cause I want to get back to story soon. Yeah. When we talk about purpose in a meaningful way, because I don't want to lose, I don't want to lose what you've just shared there, because it's really important. I think it's really important for our listeners uh, to, to hear that. Your your current work with, with the National Indigenous Youth um, Education Coalition is significant work. Yeah. Because it's exactly part of what I just said there, isn't it? It's about the truth-telling and the story, which will lead hopefully to, to not only reconciliation, but, but healing that residual of that past and, and building the necessary bridges that we need to recognise not only the atrocities of the past, but to recognise the inherent value of our First Nations people and how we should be celebrating them as, and running towards that diversity as an asset 
not repelling from it as we have possibly done in the past. Can you share with, with our listeners, first of all, the type of work uh, that the coalition actually does and what's the role of community in that work? Yeah. So the National Indigenous Youth Education Coalition, we're all about bringing Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people or young people together to not just think about education, but to really, we say reclaim education. And I think what's important about uh, that theme of reclamation is that we acknowledge that education has always been on this in this country. You know, education didn't arrive uh, with the first fleet. Actually, this continent has been cared for by thousands of generations of um, First Nations people and their knowledge systems who knew how to take care of each other and take care of country. And so, you know, I feel like the reason why wanted to start the coalition in the first place is that when I was going through school I felt like my parents always told me like education was so important if you want to like make something of yourself you know if you want to you know get out and be able to support yourself you need a good education you know you need to go to university you need to do that um, which is all important but there was never like the opportunity for us to be critical about the type of education that we were getting you know, and how much did that education play a role in reinforcing me, um, Haley, as a young Aboriginal kid in the classroom? It didn't do much in, in, in that context of like me going into school and not having to give up any of myself, any of my identity in order to succeed in quotes, you know. And that kind of experience is one that a lot of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander young people experience is that you have to go through this, this system that will help you in some ways, but you have to sacrifice in other ways, mm-hmm. you know? And I don't, I don't think that's fair. And, you know, I, I think, like, that's probably the experience of a lot, a lot of young people because this education system is an old system, you know? And, yeah. um, and, and so how much is it really you can you can finish school and honestly say, I know who I am, I know where I'm going to go, I know what my community wants of me. And so our role with the coalition is to be able to provide a space where young Blackfellas can actually come together and think about how will we want education to look and feel like and be like so that, one, we don't have to give up any of ourselves, but two, that it's actively playing a role in strengthening our communities and rebuilding our Indigenous nations. Ailey, do you you get a sense that that tide is changing, that we're starting to now see a shift? I mean, when you went to high school, apart from the joy that you had of going to high school with your cousins, like you illustrated a moment ago, were you ever able to see yourself and your culture in any of the work that was given to you or any of the literature that was given to you, or it was simply always through the narrative of the lens of a white person? Well, I went to school at a time where we didn't even hear acknowledgements of country. Right. We had a big celebration when they decided to fly the flag. That was mm-hmm. progress, you know. Yeah. And so, yeah, I do think that, like, there's been a huge amount of progress in terms of inclusion. Mm-hmm. But what young people are actually calling for is how can we, you know, we live in a, a country where we have 
so many different um, education kind of mm-hmm. systems. Like if you think about private, Catholic, you know, but why, why don't we have a First Nations-led education system that's really grounded and built off Indigenous ways of being, knowing and doing? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, yes, inclusion is great, but what we're striving for is self-determination. Yeah, that, that's really interesting, isn't it? Because there's lots of conversations around inclusion about having a seat at the table. But what I'm hearing you say is consider our table. Right. Yeah. Our table is as relevant as anyone's table uh, and as significant. And I think that's the piece that I'm picking up from you, that it's not just about now the advancements we've made in things like acknowledgements, in things like including uh, Indigenous history. It's actually about having a, a, a curriculum and a learning that is relevant to First Nations people, that is also relevant to us. Mm-hmm. And what we can learn from your lived experiences being the the oldest living civilization in the world. I remain optimistic about that. What what is your perspective, though? Are you optimistic about this going forward? Or what what are some of the main challenges that you see still today that we have to overcome in from the educational context? Yeah, I'm optimistic. I mean, that's the whole, that's our primary goal of the coalition is to is to one day see, um, you know, a greater support for Indigenous-led schools and for um, a First Nations-led learning um, system. You know, I mean, you always have to be practical in that we're 3% of the population and and those kinds of things. Um, But I do think that we need to work towards developing a curriculum, developing an an infrastructure that really supports that First Nations-led learning. I think, you know, it's hard because you, I do feel like optimistic and that's like my true passion in life, right? <laughs> but at the same time, you, you do get disheartened. Like it's hard because you look at sometimes at the policy context within education. Yes. And um, it's like we're, we're still focused on like, you know, 20 or 30 steps back around. We had to fight with this last ACARA review, mm. you know, to have those small additions added into the um, cross-curriculum priority area. And, you know, like that was, a, you know, like it was blasted in the media. You know, I think what what's really um, the biggest obstacle, and it's kind of sits outside of education almost, is like Australia still needs to deal with our issues of race and racism, you know. But, like, I, I remain optimistic. I, I can't not be. <laughs> I, I, think, I think any conversation around true reconciliation and healing has to and and, and educate and with education has to be around what you just touched upon and that is us being brave enough to have a conversation about racism yeah in the last you know couple of weeks we again have seen um that uh be quite pronounced in in the afl circles right we've, yeah. we've, se- we've seen uh, you know young robbie young in in south australia um, be be subjected to uh, uh, racism from a very predominant football player of, of a leading AFL team, and then in the last week, my hero, you know, my one of my greatest players that I've I've, I've simply adored my entire life because I'm a Carlton supporter uh, is Eddie Betts, who has come out yeah. so so eloquently and spoken about how hard it is, uh, and 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 spoken about how energy sapping it is, and that it's just another kind of punch to the guts about having to always have to take the high moral ground, you know, yeah. in, in this. 
when these incidences occur, Haley, what is it that we could be doing differently to prevent them from happening again? It's a difficult one, but I feel like right now it's like we in Australia when like what I do like is that of like what Eddie Betts and, and them, they continually do and, you know, they do put a lot of energy into this public awareness and public education. But if you look kind of at the US and, you know, just some of the kind of discussions and how like front and centre it always is. Yes. We're never front and centre about the role that race has played in the way that our systems and structures have been built. Like how often do we really recognise and sit with the impact and ongoing legacy of the white Australia policy? You know, mm-hmm. you know when, we, when we look at those policies and, you know, education has played a key role in upholding them. You know, we had an assimilation policy here um, in Australia that specifically spoke to removal of children, putting them into schools, to educate them within a Western construct, you know, context. Mm -hmm. These are the foundational layers of our systems and structures, you know. Like they just, they didn't happen by accident. They were very deliberate in how they built relationships with First Nations people, Mm -hmm. first and foremost, you know. And so I feel like the best thing that we can do is actually sit with some of those policies at the past and think critically about, well, how has this influenced the, the systems that we're experiencing today. Mm-hmm. Haley, I think um, as I'm sitting here just listening to you and Adriana, I'm mindful of a few things. I'm mindful of that notion of self-determination in, in education. And, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, uh, so I'd, I'd, I, had, I had the opportunity to, to sit on the Silvers team that wrote the New South Wales history curriculum back in the late 1990s. And, and um, you know, Linda Burney, God bless her, was uh, was on the consultation committee around that. And what an amazing, amazing voice she was around a whole bunch of things. But that was the first, you know, the, the argument then was about colonisation, settlement, dispossession, theft, invasion, and so on. And, you know, we, you know, a, we, we, we had the responsibility of sort of making sure that the conversation was at least around that. It wouldn't, we were sort of getting a little bit of Henry Reynolds in, 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 into the thinking there, but the whole notion of voice and self-determination was just a long, long way off at, at, at that point. So, so I hear you talking about that now. Mm. I, I want to talk about conservatism and progressive thinking in human beings and how you're engaging with that in the work that you're doing because it seems to me, you know, yesterday or the day before, there's there's one of our um, our game changers in the school for tomorrow family, Stephen Colbert, is writing a lovely piece on history uh, and arguing for inquiry and asking questions and yeah. using that. And and then the the response came back from another um, person from another part of uh, the the sort of the, the the academic debate around it. And you know, the quote was. What would Sir Edmund Barton think about that? And my mind just went straight away to the fact that, well, he, he was the architect of the White Australia policy. You know, he might have been yeah. our first prime minister, but the very first act of parliament, the very first act of federation was about exactly what you were talking about, setting up a conscious design to eradicate Aboriginal Australia from what, it, from, from what we do and how we do that. Yeah. And, and 120 years later, we're... You know, we can't change people who are conservative in their thinking. That's their that's their whole makeup is to hearken to the past and seek comfort in it. 
almost instinctively, and it's not it's not about the issues, because if you were to tease this apart and with that person say, do you really want to bring back the architect of white Australia policy as the point of reference? Of course they would say no. But mm. instinctively what we we have people who want to drag us back. And then we have people, on the other hand, who want to take us forward at a pace that the majority of people can't cope. So how do you negotiate a space within there? Because you're impatient and, <laughs> and, and, and that's good. That's good. We love that because that's what game changers are. You know, they're, they're, they're bold pioneers. They don't ask permission. They, right. they get in there and they make change happen. How do you negotiate between yeah. that instinct for looking backwards, that instinct to look forward, and the majority of us who are sitting in the middle going, which way now? Which is, you know, that's, and that's the question that Leanne Wilson would, would, yeah. would, would encourage me to use. If we were doing a yarning circle, she'd sit there and go, which way now? Yeah. Well, I think I'm all for looking back, and I think that's actually essential, but it's don't look back with rose-coloured glasses. You know, look back with those, those critical um, thinking. And, you know, like I've done, um, you know, been more involved in some conversations around, you know, truth and healing and, and justice. You know, like when we think about that history of Australia having um, a penal colony that's something that has to be healed in itself like how does it feel to almost be outcast from your home country sent to another land where you don't know anything about and kind of be like be cast out almost you know and so I feel like that's a sense that Australia needs to heal with but also you know like in doing that there there was this kind of efforts to create an Australian identity, you know, and while First Nations people are here, you know, and we're sovereign and, you know, we, we, we are sovereign in ourselves, you know, there's a clash, there's always going to be a clash there when you're trying to create an Australian nationhood identity on stolen lands. It's the two are never going to, um, to happen, you know, like that's, that's kind of that point of recognition in, in healing. But um, I think, honestly, like in the work of the coalition, I can't get too caught up with the um, progressive or the conservative um, right now, because right now I'm focused on having conversations with young mob and bringing them together, um, you know, and, and building, like we're still quite new. And so like my whole focus at the moment is to be planting the vision um, and to be crafting and, and designing that vision with young people to own collectively you know I feel like you know I'm a millennial and I've kind of like you know grown up in a time where we've had so many different prime ministers <laughs> you know what is it like more than you can count on both hands in the last 15 20 years or so but you know like what I've been I, I always I I spent a lot of time in Canberra right and so you hear some conversations with those old school bureaucrats who were in in the government during the hawk era or you know but like what they talk about is that there was that strong kind of vision you know regardless of you know who was in power but like having that strong kind of vision of what you want for the country and how you're going to build it and what are the values that you're going to stand by um I feel like that's where we really need to focus on you know and regardless of where you lean progressively or whatever like for me right now, I just can't see what that common vision is anymore. Mm -hmm. And so 
I'm just trying to do it in my own little small neck of the woods. <laughs> so, 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 so is this your why? Is this your purpose? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if I can, I just want to tease this out a bit in a few different ways, if I can, because as I said, we've been we, in this, in this series, we're talking to people about purpose and, 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 you know, lots of different people from different parts of the world um, uh, around this. Have you always felt that this was your purpose or have you grown into this? And if so, did it evolve or is it always there? Um, I think it's definitely, I've grown into it, but like, I know that at my center, like at my core, it's, it's not, it's, it's purpose, but it's also like responsibility um, to my future generations. You know, like when you're part of a really small Indigenous group, you have to fight to hold on to whatever you have, you know, and, you know, being a link in that kind of chain is really essential. And I think where I kind of grew into education was one like just being in Rocky and when you get a bit older, reflecting on just how different Aboriginal kids were being taught in the classroom or the kinds of lessons we kind of had and, you know, just realising just how incredibly powerful education can be. And so um, I grew into that kind of seeing the power of education but wanting it to, wanting it to be that tool of empowerment and um, for mob and I think it can be but really my my purpose is for my child that I'm not going to meet you know my my little descendant mm. who's will be my great 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 granny you know I like I just want for that person to be you know you know I grew up I I'm still learning we're still revitalizing our Durumble language like I want them to be able to like just speak Durumble or you know, to still have their connections back and understand like that history of being blackbirded. And, you know, I want my country like to still be nice and taken care of, you know, like that's like really the the purpose at the heart of it. And, you know, education is really just what we've always done as humans. We've passed on the knowledge that we learned so that they can you know, thrive and, and continue, you know. And that's yeah. really, really what's the crux of it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Who have been the most important influences to help you develop this sense of inner drive? Who are the external people yeah. that help build this inside you in your life? Well, I think my my grandparents, but also my parents um, have always been like outwardly, focused you know like my mom has always been that type of person who is fundraising for this or fundraising for that or supporting this or that and my dad you know has always done roles in the community so I think that kind of active service has always been around me in in different ways and I think my sister has also been a huge influence on me she's a journalist and you know like there's just something huge when you can see people being able to own their story and also have someone listen to them and validate them, you know, that's a hugely profound kind of experience. And I just think, you know, like every child that comes into a classroom is bringing with them their own story. And somewhere along the way, you know, sometimes that can get taken out of us or saying like, no, don't, don't, don't keep that story if you want to succeed 
when really that's that's the biggest strength, you know? And so, yeah, that's kind of where I see it. Oh, it's fabulous. Fabulous, fabulous. There's like this, one of the things that we're trying to do with this series, Haley, is provide examples for people out there, for our listeners who, you know, educators and non-educators about, about models, if you like, about how to, how to connect yourself to your own life of purpose and how to drive yourself forward. And the only way you can do that really is by telling the stories of people who have got this sort of real sense of purpose about what they're doing and how they do it. And everybody's slightly different. Like there's, there isn't just sort of an identikit wave, a formula for doing yeah. this sort of thing. I'm really interested because in, in how you switch from this very family orientation that you've got, which is, you know, deep, you know, deep in your culture, but just also deep in your upbringing and, and who you are as a person. And then you go and do stuff on a local and a regional and a national and an international level. I mean, you've been a member of the Youth Advocacy Group for the UN Secretary General's Global Education First Initiative. Um, you're working with uh, education coalitions in uh, the Asia Pacific with ASPBAE. Um, you've, you know, you've been... Um, you know, the Palmer Foundation leader, you're operating at a national level. How do you how do you balance? Because the 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 requirements to be a global citizen, yeah, talk about sameness across the globe, you know, and, and recognize commonness. And but then so much of the self-determination piece is the recognition for the uniqueness of your story and the story of your people and your country. And and it is beautiful country up there in Rocky. You know, it's, yeah. it, it really, really is. How do, you, how do you balance all of those different external expectations and, and contexts? Yeah, well, it was actually funny because I did the work with the UN before I started the coalition. At the time, <laughs> the way I um, got onto that group was I was half going through my teacher degree at uni and I got a little bit frustrated um in in one of the classes which was like an indigenous studies class as you do and I remember like I was just venting in this application it was just like an essay application to these random selectors that were like probably in London somewhere and um yeah I kind of found myself amongst this group of young people from around the world who were passionate about education but brought some unique lenses to it you know we had um Rolanda from the Philippines who talked about, you know, inclusivity for um, young people with disabilities. And my friend Jamira, who was from Philadelphia and talked about the impact of gang violence on access to education and, you know, um, other issues like child marriage and these kinds of things. And so that kind of really opened my eyes to the fact that, you know, sometimes the issues to education don't even lie within education. You know, you, you need to be in really diverse perspectives and people within your community to help move education forward. And I think that's really the value of, of coalitions is because coalitions kind of, well, in my view, are part of like bringing in those really different people in your community because everyone in community has a stake in education, right? They have some yeah. kind of, whether it's to build your workforce, whether it's your kids going to school, but I think how I get from that really nucleus of like my family and the international, I think the things that bind us are really like we all share this one planet. You know, our, we're actually not that disconnected from someone who's 
you know, in the middle of Southeast Asia. Um, you know, we're on a kind of like basic human level, you know, we are we are all connected. But yeah, I think that's the thing is like where where we're connected is really on that like our survival depends on each other. <laughs> but then part of that survival is that I can recognize that for me, what enables me to thrive is that connection to country and culture, you know? Yeah, you know, have that respect. Hayley, I'm just sitting here and I'm just terribly inspired listening to you. You know, uh, first of all, I love how beautifully you articulate that we exist because of each other, you know, uh, and we're so much better together. I just, I love that. The other thing that I'm so inspired by, and and I'm sure our listeners are, is that here is this dynamic young First Nations woman who is not only proud of her heritage and champions that, but you're also a person for all humanity. And what I'm hearing really strongly come through is that so much of your purpose is about stewardship of of place, of country, of, of all of us. And, and how we can continue going forward. And, and I've got to say just thank you. Thank, thank you for, for being that kind of beacon and, and light in that space. And you do it so effortlessly and casually, like, yeah, okay, whatever um, type of thing. But, but you, you, do it, you do it with such grace. Along this journey that you have been on now, because Phil asked you about what was your why. And I think we're, that's really clear, what your why is. And I think you're really in tune with that like you've got a deep consciousness about what your why is and that's that kind of um self-actualization is pretty powerful for 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 someone your age going through navigating through life along that journey to the point where you are today talking with us what are some of the things that you have learnt that you didn't expect to learn one thing is like i just didn't i started this out like i didn't realize how hard it is (laughs) like sometimes you can be so idealistic and I like I've been I think I have been real idealistic but when you're trying to like organize and I think that's the difference with like you know just like advocacy or awareness like when you're trying to really organize with mob like with your people and develop a community like you do have like the realities of like well I, I like for me I also started the coalition and then a month later, I fell pregnant with my daughter. <laughs> so it was like, it's been this kind of always tension of like, I really want to like be all in on this dream, but I have a child to feed, you know? And like, it's, sometimes it's like, there's that practicalities that you need to weigh up and around. You don't always have to like rush all in. Like we've taken a really long, slow tide to kind of build the coalition, get our foundations right and so we've done it all voluntarily like we we haven't had any major financial backers but hopefully that that's changing um soon so it's kind of been the like one of the things is like be passionate but also like recognize where you have to put your energy at that time so 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 when you've encountered those challenges of it being hard because you didn't anticipate it was going to be this challenging or difficult along the journey what are some of the things then you did to overcome yeah. how hard it has been uh, to keep pushing through your, your mission? Yeah. Well, actually, it comes right back to community. I can honestly say, like, if it wasn't for the, the other women who have developed the coalition with me and their kind of commitment and passion and being, like, so connected on, like, a really 
fundamental like values base like I just don't think we would have gotten past like year two or year three um you know the I've been really really lucky to have really strong mentors and senior people around me that I've just been lucky to meet who have given like their time or their advice or have opened up a door or who have done an introduction honestly like the relationships that have been around me uh, have been the ones that have gotten me through honestly like and without um that community that I'm just really lucky to be a part of that's the biggest thing I remember like um we had just set up our website and it was just you know a Wix website that I just did at home you know I chucked the bill on my on my credit card (laughs) (laughs) you know like I just you know (laughs) to do something and the first email we got you know was from a um a university professor at uni uni melbourne dr sophie rudolph and she's kind of got this thing where she always just like connects with young people and like backs them and you know that was you know like three or four years ago now and she's still like one of the closest kind of friends of the coalition that we just call on for advice and it was just you know like you just don't know where these people are going to come from or like you just it really is that you can't judge a book by its cover you just don't know who's kind of Um, behind the screen behind the email or behind that first handshake at a conference really Um, but yeah I'm I'm super thankful for for those people. Hayley I suspect that um, I might be starting to already know some of the answers to the question that I'm going to ask you now but we already heard Adriano refer to you know Eddie Betts in this conversation saying he's just exhausted with the work and and again and again when you talk to First Nations people who are at the front line of the culture wars, which are, as I intimated earlier, I think they're an inevitable result of our humanity in this clash between those who cling to the past and those who are trying to move forward. And it's how you resolve that. But then you've got people caught in the middle who are always dealing with, and they'll tell you they're exhausted. I'm exhausted. Yeah. I'm exhausted. What energizes you? What's what? How do you refresh yourself? I'm really lucky that I've chosen to be in like a youth space. So I've kind of tapped into a, um, you know, the fountain of youth, you could say. No, but um, I think what energizes me and, you know, like it's hard, like me and my team with the coalition, we've always had full-time jobs and this has been something that we've built, you know, in our weekends or like when we've run workshops, we've taken our personal leave to, you know, to run our workshops and that kind of thing. But I think honestly what keeps us going is that one, that like being in a coalition, um, I I guess it's a bit different to like some other startups or whatever, is that we are in it together and we're part of a team. So it's never always going to be on one person. But also like just that we can, because our vision is so clear around like what we want, it's almost like it's just, having that uncompromising commitment to that vision almost and, and knowing like we, we are reaffirmed every time we speak to young people that like what we're wanting is what they want, you know? So it's not something that we've just invented. Yeah. And it's also like, we know that so many mob before us have already started this work and it's our job to come in and, and play our role, you know, like, if you're lucky to be in a community that has an Aboriginal independent school, you know, there's been a community behind that, that that could have been someone's life's work, 
just getting that one school up, you know? And that would have taken a whole bunch of like community activism, you know, wanting the school, like setting up the governance, you know, trying to get it government funded. Like that was someone's life's work, you know? And that's what we're inheriting. I think it's that kind of thing. It's like we're coming in at a point where a lot of the hardest yards have been fought. And I'm I'm super thankful for that. So I know that people are exhausted, but I feel like there's a new generation of young people coming up who are like continuing to do that work, but doing it in a way that's really honoring and listening to our senior people who've, who've paved the way, really. Thanks, Hayley. Final question from me with this one here. Let's try and boil this down to two simple things that can be done. They're probably not simple, but we'll, we'll say, how do we help best help young people to feel as though they belong in their school or learning community and then help them to find their purpose and put it into practice, perhaps as you've done for yourself? Mm-hmm. Uh, number one would be ask them, because I feel like we don't actually listen to young people when they're going through school enough. <laughs> um, And second is one thing that I'm really proud to be working on with Learning Creates Australia is a focus on the recognition system. You know, like, let's actually look at what is our benchmarks? What are we valuing in a young person when they come out of school? And how can we twist those values to align directly with what that young person wants for them, for themselves? My final then question to you, Haley, is from your experience in your particular field of the coalition, but now what you've just shared with us, your work as the co-chair of, you know, Learning Creates Australia, what have you learned about what we most need to help mm. young people lead lives that are well-lived and purposeful? One thing I think is um, we need to be able to um, provide environments where one young people can feel like they have agency over their own learning and life and that's not in a way where you just kind of like I know like there's a lot of criticism oh if you just let them go and do whatever they want how will that be valuable or or whatever but I think um when we look at how the world is changing and the types of skills that we need of young people you know young people are inheriting really really complex issues like just climate change alone is hugely complex We're not going to solve those problems by business as usual. And so why should education be education as usual? You know, allowing for young people to have agency to, uh, like you said before, inquire, to think about how can education actually be linked to their community and to their lived reality, I think is going to be really, really important I feel like sometimes we treat young people as if they just don't know or they just don't have any consciousness about (laughs) what's happening in the world around them and for young people that have supercomputers in their hands nowadays (laughs) that's just not the case you know it's just not and so I think recognize that that young person although young we have a responsibility to them to care for them to guide them to support them to, to nurture them but they also have a, a responsibility back to the communities where they are. You know, um, Haley, it has been an absolute delight to be with you today and to learn from you today and, more importantly, to be inspired by you today. You said something earlier that we're missing as, as a country, and that was people with vision. Or not, not, not people with vision, 
an articulated vision that we can all get behind. Well, I don't know about you, Phil, and I don't know about the people listening, but I almost feel that we heard a powerful case for a vision to get behind today. And that vision is one that places community and the inclusive nature of community at the centre of our, our way going forward. The second component I heard as part of that vision is one where each of those individuals within that community have the agency around their own self-determination. No longer should we be telling each individual how to think, what to do, how to be, how to behave and so on, but it's our collective efficacy that when we come together in our joint determination as well as our individual determination, that should continue to shape that, that going forward. This has been an inspiring conversation, Haley. I'm really optimistic that we have individuals like you leading in Australia, not only with Learning Creates Australia, but the work that you're doing at the coalition, empowering uh, your own people to, for them to understand their worth, that they, they have value, uh, that they should be known, and to give them the self-determination to realise that they no longer need a seat at the table. They're going to build their own bloody table and uh, they're going to be generous enough to invite us to it as well. Thank you very much, Haley. Thank you for everything that you continue to represent. Uh, I'm really excited that our listeners are going to hear this powerful conversation around a vision for a new Australia that runs towards its diversity, not away from it. Thank you. Thank you. Game Changers is a podcast for those who want to change the game of school. Produced by Oliver Cummins for Orbital Productions and powered by a school for tomorrow, Game Changers is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play and SoundCloud. Tell your friends and don't forget to subscribe. Let's go.